Welcome to the Right to the Streets edition of the GM Moving podcast. Join the conversation about what makes our streets, parks and public spaces joyful, welcoming places for people to be and to be active. Join me, Eve Holt, strategic leader at Greater Sport, on the journey around the streets as we explore people's freedom to move about without fear. In each episode, we hear about the roles we can all play to make where we live, work and play places where all women and girls feel they belong and are invited to be active. We gather stories, experiences and ideas as we speak to strategic leaders, decision makers and lots of local people who are creating the conditions in place for everyday moving and active lives for all. In this episode, we explore the links between our right to the streets and public health. The World Health Organization defines public health as the art and science of preventing disease, prolonging life and promoting health through the organised efforts of society. Some people refer to public health as social or community medicine. Public health explores the ways we can change the environment for the benefit of the public, like ensuring clean water supply, clean air, healthy homes and streets, and shifting population behaviour through public health campaigns. I'm keen to hear what this means and what we can learn from people working in public health to create better conditions on our streets, in our public spaces and parks, and to make them feel like safer, more joyful and welcoming places for all. We saw through the COVID vaccination programme how important it is for people working in public health to listen to, understand and work with people in communities in their diversity. If we to really develop solutions that work for them and address the health inequities so starkly revealed over the last few years. So coming up, you'll come with me to the St John Centre in Old Trafford to meet a wonderful group of women from the community hub who tell us all about their local area, including the places where they find joy. I'm really, really thankful. I'm really blessed that, you know, my first step coming into Old Trafford was my park. How they get about? I just walk everywhere. I walk into town, I walk into sale. And the things that can often get in the way of them leading more active lives. I became disabled about four or five years ago. I've changed from being a ridiculously fast, kind of limitless walker to someone who really can't walk very far at all. Joining that conversation too is Eleanor. I'm Eleanor Rofe and I'm the Director of Public Health for Trafford Council. I grabbed some time with Eleanor on her own to chat about what exactly we mean when we talk about a public health approach and her ideas to help us lead healthy and happy lives. Eleanor has over 30 years experience in public health. By law, every local authority must appoint a director of public health. These directors are responsible for ensuring that public health is at the heart of their local authority's agenda. Using the best and most appropriate evidence, they determine the overall vision and aims for public health in their locality. And then they manage the delivery of those objectives, reporting annually. Eleanor is a huge advocate for active travel and personally cycles to work in Trafford every day. I start by asking Eleanor why safer streets matter to her and her work. 
safer streets really matter because it's about us all having space around our homes where we feel safe and it's part of our lives. We all understand how important it is to feel safe in your home, but actually feeling safe in your local area is absolutely critical too. And I think what we find, especially for women and girls, is that our use of streets isn't as free to us as for men and that there are constraints that are put on us and fears that we have about using our streets. And many of those fears are unjustified. Sadly, some are justified. But what we need to be doing is, it's, I mean, to go back to that old, old jargon, it's the reclaim the streets. Because if you don't feel safe in your local area, how can you live effectively and be your best self in that area? So for me, it's just so important that we're able to, to think about people's physical and mental health, because being out and about, mixing with people, knowing that you're, you belong is really important to all of us. And you have to feel you belong in the streets around your home as much as you do within your home. So as a director of public health and obviously leading a team in Trafford, what sort of things do you and can your colleagues do that contribute to this agenda? A lot of the work we do is about thinking about things like physical activity and mental health and how intrinsically linked both physical and mental health are. They're not different things. They're all part of the same thing. And the work that we've been doing is really thinking about how we help people to become more physically active, because we know in this in our population, a lot of us aren't active enough day to day. And one of the easiest ways to become more physically active is to be walking or cycling around in your local area. We don't all need to be going to the gyms. If we can build physical activity into our daily lives, then that is a really effective way of keeping ourselves healthy. By going outside, we also expose ourselves to vitamin D, to social interactions, and to enjoying the change of seasons and the weather and being more part of nature. So for us as a public health team, what we're really interested in is how do we make our physical environment as pleasant as it possibly can be? And some of the things that we can do aren't really public health actions, they're they're for environmental services and others. So things like street lighting and the quality of pavements are far more important to people being active than anyone really thinks about. But we know that in the winter, lots of people don't go out in the dark because they don't feel safe. But we also know that the more of us that there are walking or cycling around, the safer we all become. So there is something about how do we make sure that we feel safe, but also the fact that actually we have a bit of a duty to be going out and about too, so that other people feel safe. So are there any particular lessons, I guess, from your work in in Trafford or across Greater Manchester that you would point to of um, some of the ways maybe working with other partners, things that you focused on to make a difference? So we've been doing a lot of work with Transport for Greater Manchester about walking and cycling and the B Network work. For many people, particularly people from more deprived backgrounds, you're much less likely to own a car. People with disabilities are less likely to own a car. Women are less likely to own a car and less likely to drive. Children don't own cars and don't drive. So there is something about making sure that our streets aren't just completely dominated by cars. And that's particularly important in more built up areas where you've got high levels of housing density, you quite often also have a high number of parked cars. And ironically, it's not a, you know, people often think, oh, I don't want to cycle because I'm worried about the drivers. But sometimes it's the parked cars that make it really dangerous or difficult for us to cycle because the streets become so narrow or cars park on the pavement. And there's a lot of evidence showing that that can really limit people's ability to get around their local area. We know that it's a big factor in um, whether 
parents will allow their children to walk to school because the child may have to go into the road or their vision may be impaired when they're trying to cross the road. So thinking about how we make our streets into places for people and for people to move around rather than for people to drive around, I think is the first step that cities are for people to live in, for people to enjoy, for people to design. And we can't continue to design around cars. So in Greater Manchester, when you measure productivity levels, we are less productive in work terms than many other parts of the country. Part of that is because we have higher levels of ill health than many other areas. Part of that ill health is going to be down to low levels of physical activity. But we also know that congestion plays a big part. And so traffic traveling slower actually means that journeys take longer. And that means the number of jobs anyone can do in a day is decreased. The time that people take to get to work is increased. All of those things have a negative impact on our productivity as a, as a region. So if we can start thinking more about how we walk and how we cycle and how we use public transport, that will help us take cars off the road. That will reduce air congestion, improve air quality, increase the likelihood that we can be physically active and increase our sense of cohesion and community because you're much more likely to stop and smile or speak to somebody if you're walking or even on a bike than if you're in a car. But also, although lots of people think, oh, having parking outside a shop means that you'll get more footfall in the shop. Actually, that's not the case. It's been borne out repeatedly that people who walk and cycle are much more likely to use the shops in their local area and spend more in them. So shopkeepers and local businesses are much better off if we can try and make sure that as many people as possible are walking around the area. The other thing is that more people walking makes it feel safer and actually is safer for all of us. So trying to make sure, particularly after dark, that we've got well-lit streets and that people are able to walk and feel safe in doing so is a really important part of being able to live in, own and belong to your local area. So you briefly talked about air pollution. Let's go there. The first thing to remember is that outdoor air pollution doesn't stay outdoors. It goes indoors as well. There are some things as well that make indoor pollution worse. Wood-burning stoves are, are a particular issue. But most of the air pollution in our cities is caused by road transport. So if we reduce the number of people driving and make sure that they're driving at a steady speed, then we'll see an improvement in our air quality. I think a lot of people think that electric cars are going to be the solution to this, but actually, unfortunately, they're not. And that's because electric cars, although they don't produce the nitrogen dioxide, they do produce particulates. And these particulates are tiny little elements of matter. The real risk with them is that they're so tiny that they can get through your lungs and into your bloodstream. That's why we're so concerned about air pollution. Although they definitely are better for the climate, they're not necessarily always going to be better for air pollution. So that the message has got to be in urban areas, you should think before you drive and you should particularly think before you do a short journey. And you should think as well about if you live in an area, you know, in one of the leafy suburbs, for example, but then your drive to work takes you through a more heavily built up area, you're going to be creating more problems in that area. And in our more heavily built up areas, such as Old Trafford, typically the households have more people living in them. They may have lower incomes and they may be less able to protect themselves. And it's really difficult for any of us to protect ourselves against air pollution. We all have to breathe. We can't go around holding our breath. So it's really important that we do everything we can to improve air quality. 
As well as talking about the role of public health, we talk in Greater Manchester about taking a public health approach to gender-based violence, to active lives for all, to healthy streets. What does that actually mean to anybody? I don't think it means anything to anyone outside public health, Eve. (laughs) But what it means is that by taking a public health approach, what we're doing is we're trying to think of the causes as well as the results of any situation. So whether it's domestic abuse or air quality or, or safer streets, we're trying to think about why is the situation as it is and what's caused that? How far back do you need to go and how can you influence all the little stages on the way? And lots of this will be about not only what can policymakers do, but also what can communities do and how do we hear from communities about what's driving their behaviours and why is it that they're living in the way they are. Most of us are creatures of habit. Most of us, most of the time, just do the same things that we always do. If we had to stop and think about every single action we took, we'd, ne- we'd probably struggle to get out of bed. You know, We are really pre-programmed by our habits. But now, A number of the things that I would say are our modern lifestyle and our urban lifestyle, some of the benefits, some of the lovely things about that urban lifestyle are also some of the things that are making it more difficult for us to continue to be healthy. You know, fast food may be delicious, but eating it regularly is really not good for you. And we all know that, but it's very hard to break some habits. Similarly, jumping into the car may feel really convenient, but actually quite often that journey in the car will have taken you longer than it would have done if you'd walked or cycled the same distance. But we don't really have that in our in our mindset, especially in a place like Greater Manchester. If you compare Greater Manchester to London, about 85% of commutes to work in Greater Manchester are done by car, but it's less than 30% in London. So people in London are more used to thinking about using other modes of transport than we are. So we need to start thinking about why is it that we're not thinking about these different modes of transport. And if we did think about traveling differently, just think of all the benefits we'd have of the meeting people, the fresh air, the exercise. I think this is something that everybody in public health really does see as a, as a crucial part of changing changing our population health and changing the outcomes in our country that we've, we don't have as good health outcomes as we should. I think it comes back to the more control you have over your life, the better your health is. So doing anything that gives local communities more feeling of control and more autonomy is going to be really helpful. So the reason I'm so passionate about active travel and and sustainable travel, so travel by public transport, is that I just feel it's such a good solution to so many things. It helps us with congestion. It helps with productivity. It helps with air quality. It helps with physical activity. It helps with mental health. It helps with community cohesion. It helps with local businesses. And it's really, really cheap. So why wouldn't you choose that as one of your targets of something that you can absolutely do something about? There is no downside to active travel. The only downside is that we need to do a little bit of re-engineering of our streets and quite a big bit of changing the habits and the mindsets of all of us about where the car fits. And really, I would say cars should be our servants, not our masters. I like that. And also the big thing I didn't talk about was um, the impact on climate change, that actually one of the things that we're seeing with the climate changing is more extreme weather. That more extreme weather ironically makes it more difficult to walk and cycle, but it actually makes it even more important that we do in order to mitigate the impact. 
So road transport and using cars is one of the big drivers of our gap in delivery of climate change action and getting to net zero. I don't think we're honest enough about how important walking, cycling and using public transport is for our ability to withstand and address climate change. I think our current lifestyle, unfortunately, is unsustainable and we are going to have to change it. We are going to have to reduce the amount we rely on private motor cars. People who own a car have been shown to walk a lot less than people who don't own a car. We know that so many people in our population are not physically active enough. So by not using a car and by becoming a bit more physically active, you've actually then sorted out another problem as well. But I don't think we've done the work we need to do to persuade people that actually our current reliance on private cars is not sustainable. I think a lot of people would really take issue with me on that. And I think that's a debate we should be having nationally about what is the role and what is the place of a car. So there's also how money and finance is prioritised with a gendered lens to recognise, you know, that women are less likely to have a car. They're more likely to rely on doing those trip chain journeys, including public transport and active travel modes. So I guess that influence that colleagues have as well on thinking much broader around where money flows, what's prioritised across the council, across our partners, is going to continue to be, be critical, isn't it? I completely agree with you. And I think things like pavement maintenance are absolutely critical. We have to make sure that our pavements are smooth and flat and safe to walk on, because otherwise people won't be using them because older people in particular will be afraid of falling. But also cars parking on pavements um, damage the pavements. We've ended up with loads of money being spent on road maintenance that we wouldn't need to spend if we have fewer cars on the road. And bikes and people walking cause very, very little damage to any of the streets. If we can get the number of cars and lorries that are going through our cities, if we can reduce those, then we will actually save money on a road maintenance budget. And I do think when you look at the return on investment for any cycling infrastructure, it's huge compared to the return on investment you get from roads. So we really should be looking much more at making sure that that money is used in the best possible way. And that has got to be on walking and cycling infrastructure and on public transport. I mean, we often talk about the importance of locally led, GM enabled and nationally supported. And I guess that reflects as well the whole process and thinking behind the Rights to the Streets project and making sure that it is, and at a very local you know, level within neighbourhoods in North Trafford, that it's people that are informing and deciding and you know how money can be spent and what are the interventions that need to be taken and what their role is to make those places feel safer and more welcoming, um, but then very much supported by the work and the learning and the knowledge and the partnerships across Greater Manchester. And it does feel that it is helped, that it does feel like gender-based violence and also taking a gendered perspective on the design of our streets has become more of a national issue now. So there's an appetite and there's a awareness that helps galvanise people at the moment. I guess it's partly a belief that even we can make change happen, which feels very difficult, doesn't it? It's probably summarised best by that old adage, think global, act local. And what I found really strongly in the pandemic was the national messaging was really important, but that nationally you can't drive change. So the national messaging has to be right, but you have to put the resources into a local area in order to deliver the change. 
So while you've got the national messaging and you've got local resources, you can achieve anything. But if the national messaging goes, it's actually really difficult, even with resources, to enact the local action because you get a conflict in people's minds between what the national picture is saying. And, and most of us do get a lot of our information from, from national messaging. So if the national messaging doesn't support the local action, it's really hard to make that local action change. And a really obvious example is in COVID when, for example, the advice to wear masks changed or the advice for contact tracing changed. As soon as that advice went nationally, it was very, very difficult for us to do anything about contact tracing locally because people had heard the national messaging. But even with the strong national messaging, the national government showed that you can't do contact tracing on a national level. You have to do it locally. It has to be owned locally. So it is national for the message, national for the resources, but local for the action and listen to your local people. I think women and girls are much more subject to messaging about it not being safe to go out. But actually, you know, across Greater Manchester, we don't have no-go areas. The streets are safe. They, you know, we are limited quite often by our own fears and by fears, gendered fears that are really pushed at women. And I'm not saying, I'm, obviously, you know, there are terrible things that happen, but they thankfully are not as common perhaps as people think. And, and it's, I do feel sometimes we can end up in quite a victim blaming situation where it's made out that everywhere's dangerous. And then if something bad happens to a woman, well, what was she doing walking alone? Or what was she doing there at that time of night? And I think we have to come back and say, no, you know, we've all got rights to be there. But also, I do think, you know, for young men in particular, actually, the streets are probably more dangerous in many ways for young men. But we don't give young men the same messages about what is dangerous as we do to young women. And I think that that threat, particularly around sexual violence against women, is really damaging because it limits us and we internalize it and we start limiting what we do because we've internalized those fears. And I think that's something that we should really be starting to think about. How do we stop ourselves becoming prey to internalized fears that are ultimately about controlling women? And that sounds a bit dramatic. But I think we should be thinking we have a right to these streets. We should be on the streets. We should be able to go where we want, when we want. And the more of us who do it, the safer it becomes. And it becomes safer for everyone as well. It's not just safer for women and girls. It's safer for men and boys as well. And we've heard that over and over again. So is there anything that as we try and align, I guess, our messaging and shift that narrative, all of us at a local, a national and a GM level, what do you think as colleagues, I guess, working across a council can do? I think one of the things that we can do is really think about how we improve cycle safety and the perception of safety on the roads for people cycling. I do feel that that being able to cycle your way from somebody is a massive plus. But lots of women in Greater Manchester just and, and girls are just not a, given the opportunity to have the sheer joy that is being able to cycle around and have the freedom of your town on a bike. Because in the where you see high rates of cycling, you start seeing that gender gap disappear and women will cycle as well as men. And a bike is such a great way to get around, especially for short journeys that aren't the sort of standard in and out of town or on a standard bus route. They're really, really good for local orbital little journeys what for you is the ultimate kind of vision and aim 
What I'd like us to see within the next five years is people within that area and women and girls, particularly in that area, saying that they feel safer walking around, that they walk around. And I'd like it to be measured by how much they are walking around. I'd like people to be able to think about not using the car for short journeys in particular, and that we're able to see more children playing on streets and more children walking to school, more of us being able just to enjoy that wonder in our local environment and feeling at home in it and knowing that we belong. And that's what I'd like to see change. Sounds good to me. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Now, in the last bit of this episode, come with me to Old Trafford. We're off to speak to a group of fabulous women to chat about what makes their community here in Old Trafford a place where they feel welcome, feel they belong, and importantly, feel safe and invited to lead active lives. We'll also, of course, hear the things that get in the way. We're upstairs, right at the top of the St John Centre in their activity room, which is used for so many different things, for meetings, courses, English as a second language lessons, confidence building sessions, sewing, craft, card making groups and tuition. There's also a Saturday school here for young people every week. Hi, I'm Sushila Patel. Hi, I'm Eleanor Rove. Hi, I'm Kath. My name is Safina. I'm Christine Aspinall. As well as being the manager here at the centre, Christine is one of the ordained ministers at the adjoining St John's Church. I start our conversation, it gets a little animated at times, by asking Safina to describe what it was like when she first moved to this community. My first experience was when I moved here to Old Trafford, Manchester, and I didn't know a person here. So the first thing I went was I went into the park, had a little walk, and, you know, I started sort of meeting people there, talking to people, introducing myself that I've I've come from Ashton-Underline to Old Trafford. Uh, and they said, oh, do you have family here? So moved here. I said, no, I don't have any family here and I don't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. I was quite sad. So I just went to the park with the children, walked around. And that's how slowly, slowly I started meeting people. And I used to go every evening. I made sure I go every evening on the weekend, take the children and just start started meeting the community and that's it I think that's when my life started moving up and up and I, I met um, a lovely lady called Elaine and she introduced me that why didn't you come to St John's Centre uh, volunteer there and you know they were just all in the park enjoying the sun uh, enjoying their time sitting in the park and I was just walking past and saying hello and that's how we started making friends and believe it or not at this time I, I don't I don't know how many friends I've got but it must be over two or three hundred people <laughs> one day my sons was like looking on my whatsapp and he went mom is that how many people you've got on your contacts I said yeah um so I'm really really thankful I'm really blessed that you know the, my first step coming into Old Trafford was my park and my friends uh 12 years now the memories they still talk about it is where we first met was in Seymour Park. After dropping the school children off at Seymour Park School, we used to go all around, have a little walk around, have a little chit-chat, 
And one of my friends used to say, I think you do more chit-chatting than having a walk in the park. You do, you, you're doing more mouth chit-chatting doing, than rather doing your legs uh, exercise. I said, well, mouth exercise is very important. <laughs> if we don't do mouth exercise, then we can't, we'd rather keep, take it out than rather keep it in. So I think mouth exercise is very important. <laughs> that's <laughs> just so, wonderful. That's my lovely memories from starting off was from Seymour Park. So my brother gifted me a bike at the age of 50 and I said, how am I going to ride that bike? And he went, just get on it and just ride it and, and just feel like, you know, you're back to your childhood. I went, right, okay. So I started riding on my road and all my neighbours coming out and saying, whoa, yeah, well done. So then going into Seymour Park and all the ladies stopped uh, and I went, wow, you're doing so well. And I said, yeah, it's a gift from my brother. And then I sent my brother a video and slowly but slowly, as I noticed, my own Asian community women, they don't hardly ride bikes. Mm-hmm. We went to that stage that we got, St. John's Centre got a, um, a funding f- to get ladies a bike. We got all our Asian ladies to get a bike and they slowly but slowly coming into the parks. So we got all the ladies to ride a bike and it was so funny because they were sending me videos and saying, look, look what we're doing, we're riding a bike too. And I'm, 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 I'm really happy that, you know, with me doing it and other people just watching and say, yeah, some of you say, oh, you, you know, I can I have a go? I said, yeah. Just sit down and I just have a little chit-chat while you go and have a ride around on my bike. And it, it just makes them, I feel that it just motivated them to, you know, by seeing somebody doing it, that they can actually do in it. And I, I love my park. I really love my park. The community, there be events there. There be so many, you know, gatherings. And even if you go around and just have a little community feeling when you go in there, you see all the community, especially when the sun's out. You know, it's just lovely. Wow, I think we've all just exercised our mouth and smiling all the way through those stories. <laughs> Thank you. I think we could all sit here and listen and just, I think what a brilliant example of just how what an asset parks can be is a space there you've described of connection and friendship and then giving you, signposting you to other places in the community like the St. John's Centre. Um, and that story, you know, we talk about how for people to live an active life Often we miss out on all the different influences, all the different people that enable that to happen. And your story there from your brother, you know, buying you a bike yeah. that enable that to happen. Then you become this amazing inspiration, I'm sure. Yeah. Do you still meet up? Yeah. It, then COVID came. Yeah. But slowly, slowly it's coming out of there again. We're getting out of there again. I was going to ask just about, you, you talk about that joy and the freedom that you get when you're on a bike. And it is so lovely when it's sunny and you're cycling in, in a park. Or, and I was just thinking about some of the streets here. I mean, I cycle around here a lot and they're quite narrow streets. Some of the driving can be, you know, there's a lot of parked cars and so on. And it was just thinking about how can we make how can we make it so that people can use their bikes, not just going around parks, but feel safe on the roads as well. Do you, do you and the other ladies you cycle with, do they, is it mainly in a park? And I think we've just done it in the Longford Park and Seymour Park at the moment. Um, and there is a group I know I heard of that they are getting, getting ladies, or, you know, ladies and men who are a bit not confident to go on the road and slowly but slowly taking them. Um, Alexandra Park, I think they meet and they get everybody to go and build that confidence up. Um, but there's a lot of bike lanes that they're doing around here, I've noticed, which is good because 
I, I, I've been driving since the age of 18, 19, but when I'm on a bike, I feel different. I feel very different. So that Alexandra Park or whatever they're doing, they're taking people out, it's very good. It's just building that confidence up inside you to get on that road. Yeah, so that's um, the bike hive and Alexandra Park and yeah, NTFGM yeah, yeah. come and work with work with them there. Yeah, yeah. I set that up years ago. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a joy yeah. um, for that purpose. So yeah. it'd be great to hear. Is there anything else? And we'll go around. I guess is there anything else in that point of you know what you'd like to see next? What else? What would help? You know, for you and for some of the other women you've talked about there, whether it's walking or cycling, anything else that you'd like to see happen that would make that even easier and more joyful. What once year when when I, I was here, uh, I experienced was uh, like an event. I think it was from Trafford Council. I don't know. That was it was a beautiful event. We had a stage and we had the Bangra guys coming and dolls and you know it was it was a lovely. You had a whole old Trafford community there, mm-hmm. and you know it was it was brilliant because we actually stayed all day there and events like that they're amazing. And where was that? This is Seymour Park. Okay. That was Party in the Park. We, one of our uh, development workers at the time uh, was part of the uh, quite a few people from the community that pulled that together. It was a lot of work and it cost yeah. a lot of money and we had to have lots of security, yeah. but it was an amazing event for the area. Um, it just makes people feel that there is a sense of community as well. And when something like that event happens within the community, mm-hmm. rather than you having to go out of your own area to, to sort of experience something like that, and, and something of your own culture as well, that it's all in the mix there. Yeah. But it hasn't happened for a few years. And, you know, if it was to happen again, I think it, we'd have to pull in sort of the community movers and shakers to make it happen but um i think as you say a lot of people were delighted to be at that event there was just so much there um so it would be nice to be able to do something like that again but it does give you a sense of belonging and often people want to do all the fun stuff don't they the kind of the creative art side of organizing event but yeah as you described there there's so many other things that often come with it that can provide a real challenge well last year we did um the Ayers Road Festival. So uh, between us at St John's and Linda Sterling, she runs an art shop at the top of Ayers Road. Just remind me what it's called. OT Creative. Creative. Yes. OT Creative. Yeah. We got together because I've always wanted to to have an Ayers Road Festival. (laughs) So all along the the area of shops. Um, So last year we pulled it together, but we didn't get the funding. Mm. All we got was £500 a small pot from uh, Trafford and uh, what we were able to do with that was totally amazing because musicians artists everybody pulled together and we had a fantastic event and because it was the fact that you know Covid was sort of still hanging around but out of the way and people were allowed out it seemed to be that everybody was there Um, there was food different types of cultural foods there was just art workshops and you could actually see the joy in people's faces they were out there the sun was shining that helps yeah. it might have been rained off but it wasn't and now we thought let's do it every other year and you have a real good sort of run in and a plan because I think it was a jubilee um, grant that we applied for and 
Mm. Yeah, we didn't get it. We asked for £10,000. Could you imagine what we could have done with that? Mm. Yeah. Uh, but on 500 we didn't do too badly because in this community there are so many talented people um, that, you know, can make things happen and, and can contribute. Yeah, Old Trafford's got uh, talent. It indeed, it certainly has. It definitely has, but it just shows, yeah, for £500, what an amazing thing communities can do. And it's interesting because you said, you know, it cost a lot to do the party in the park. I think it was probably ten to £12,000 and a lot of that went out on security. Some went on, um, they they brought um, a mobile stage. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, that. So, uh, you know, that costs money. Yeah, it's just interesting, isn't it, when you think when how where money goes and what's seen as being of value. So if that was an event that created that sense of welcome and belonging, you know, and that impact all these years on, in the end, it's a pretty small amount of money, isn't it, <laughs> for what could be possibly the impact that has around people using a local asset that's there, but they might not otherwise know about or feel that it, you know, they've got any sense of ownership around so okay fantastic examples I'm going to come over to here so CAF I guess for you first of all anything anywhere in particular for you that you you'd say somewhere that you do feel you belong you feel welcome safe invited to be active so I think that because there's been a big change in my life so um I've barely had any period of time in my life when um, I've used a car so I've always walked um, cycled used public transport so on and so forth but um, I became disabled about four or five years ago so therefore my I've changed from being a ridiculously fast kind of limitless walker to someone who really can't walk very far at all and all I do is I walk from my house to here um, or I walk round the corner to the bus stop or sometimes I walk the whole of the length of St John's Road to go to a different bus stop if I have to go to a medical appointment I, I sort of exist in a very very small world and I think what's interesting to me if I'm honest and I'm listening to to Safina is that I have what it's left me with is I have the change in me physically um, means that there are things that I don't do that I've been trying to find a way to like to do so I don't like to sit somewhere on my own or just to walk around the park on my own and it's it's kind of crazy because anybody who knows me will know that I'm given to staring at like teeny tiny you know I can get ridiculous amounts of joy from looking at a bit of moss but I don't feel comfortable doing that in public and I'm I'm not sure what it is about me that makes me feel I think it's something to do with I don't feel entitled I can walk if I've got a job to do or if I'm there helping with something or if it's part of what I'm meant to be doing but the idea that I just sort of hang around somewhere having a nice time by myself and I wouldn't go to a cafe by myself or sit outside by myself the only time I sit by myself is when I'm forced to so um, if I'm walking sometimes I have to stop and sit on a wall or sit on a bench and I'll do it when I'm exhausted but I have to be absolutely exhausted to overcome the embarrassment that I feel which is very very different from what I would say was kind of like my public persona 
But that is actually how I feel inside. But I think that's not unusual, is it? Especially for women. I think we're not very good at claiming our space. And, and we feel watched perhaps much more than we, I'm sure, than we are. But, you know, I think people do. You, you can feel that you're being watched or judged if you're sitting doing nothing. Whereas, and, or walking on your own. Yeah, and I know that I shouldn't yeah. feel like that. Yeah. It's like it makes me angry, but I, it, it's, and, you know, 18-year-old me would be completely disgusted <laughs> like that. But that's what I've absorbed over, over and I think, time. I think what you said there as well, I mean, that's, it's, I'm sure lots of people have that experience and we all sort of need to be braver so we can model that sitting on our own and make it easier for other people to do that too. But also what you were saying about the benches and the importance of benches when you're tired. I know my mother was talking the other day about how she likes to walk in one particular direction but not in the other because in one there's lots of benches so she can just sit down and she's saying, and everybody, they should have benches everywhere. And you need two benches. You need a bench and then a planter and then another bench so people can sit on each bench and talk over the planter so they're not in each other's way. You know, and it was really, she's, she's in her 80s, but it was really interesting hearing her talk about what she wanted the streets to look like so that she would feel more able to go out. And once she's out, she's a bit like you, she'll chat away. Um, she wants to be able to sit there and have that chat with somebody and, and make a day of it. Um, I'm sure, uh, Safina, you probably wouldn't want a planter in between you and anybody else. Um, but I can see the sense of, of that personally because I, like you, Kath, I just feel awkward when I go out on my own walking. And I've always felt like that. I, I've not had a sort of anything that's changed my life so much. But, I, yeah, it's like going to a cafe on your own. I don't feel comfortable. I will do it. But... Yeah, I don't feel as comfortable. And I definitely never, ever go in a pub on my own. And, and I'm quite surprised you feel like that. Do you think there's a vulnerability? Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny, but um, because I walked so fast, I had no experience of people coming up behind me. And then I'm, like, walking along really slowly, and, and initially I would really jump because people kept overtaking me, and I wasn't used <laughs> to that. Proximity. So some of it is the, the, the physical side of it and knowing that I'm going to get tired. And, and as you're saying about your mum, I need to know where I'm going, where I can sit down. And occasionally, you know, I've come in here because if I've, if I've been somewhere and got the bus and it's a bit too far for me to walk, so I know that I can sit here. And although it's a slightly technically longer walk... I know that I can sit here and I feel fine here because it's familiar to me. And I think the other aspect of it is I've definitely got an internalised thing that as a female, you're basically not meant to sit around by yourself looking content, doing nothing. And no amount of intellectual fight against that has got rid of it. But the other part for me is that part of my condition is that I have clinical fatigue. So my brain can become very confused when I'm physically tired. So I'm anxious about staying still because if someone's talking to me, I can't engage. So that's socially very, very awkward. I've got to get myself back to a place because my my instinct is to think that you know the majority of the people that I come across when I'm wondering about are 
you know, a great people. That is what the majority of the people in the world are. I'm not naturally afraid of other people. And, and like Safina, when I'm fine, I'll talk to anybody quite happily. And I like going on the bus and I like sitting at the bus stop. And I like that random conversation with with somebody and I don't like it when your world gets it's only the people you know I'm conscious I'm hearing you you're quite very harsh on yourself because what I've heard you say is I should do this you know I need to do this and these are things that well everything you've talked to there are things that have been internalized and socialized particularly for us as women and girls you know that that, that they are things that we've adopted because that's what we've been told and gets repeated so um, I guess to your point, Savina, you know, there's a whole load of people and things that then have created the space for you to feel socially confident in spaces. And again, I just wonder, Kath, you know, what are the roles that others can play? So it's not just you taking on this sense of, well, I've now got to somehow sort this out for myself. <laughs> Actually, what are the things that other people can do that help for that world to, to grow again and for you to move from sometimes feeling socially kind of awkward in spaces to that social confidence that clearly you've experienced and brings you joy in life. I mean, very simply being able to sit is is important. So the whole the whole thing about um, benches and so on and so forth. And and you know, when I know I know where all the bus stops are that have seats and don't have seats and where to get on and off. And I actually feel more confident in the busyness of central Manchester than somewhere else and also there's less traffic because I'm very intimidated by traffic because I don't necessarily look as if it's going to take me a long time to cross the road for example and that's quite a thing and you've got to be feeling confident to carry on walking slowly and sometimes I kind of limp in a more exaggerated way or I, I, I do things that indicate that you cannot have the expectation that I'm going to, to to rush across the road. So, you know, that's something that's changed since I was young in the sense that most places now are dominated by the idea that you absolutely have to have a car and that's a huge thing to, to, to pull back on. You know, everything, our working lives, absolutely everything, is there is a presumption that you will have a car. And that presumption didn't exist when I was growing up. So, so Sheila, yeah, it'd be lovely to hear a bit about you in terms of, again, what are the spaces and places, and I guess to use the language we've heard there, you know, where do you feel socially awkward or uncomfortable, or where do you feel kind of socially confident and uncomfortable? I just walk everywhere. Uh, I think Kath knows I walk into town, I walk into sale, and I just love to walk, but I don't sit down anyway. I just, I, I think I'm like you. I feel a bit vulnerable. Uh, I just don't sit unless uh, it's with a group. You know, if you go hiking or something like that, that's okay, but not on my own. And how do you pick your routes? How do you decide? Oh, where I to just. Go? Like on Sunday, I was bored again. <laughs> I thought, right, Wally Range, head for Wally <laughs> that, that side, because I just like, love to see the old houses um, and their gardens. I was feeling a bit, oh, I thought, oh, I don't know how, how people will think. Or, you know, what am I looking at? Do you think they, I'm weighing up their houses to... <laughs> you, know, you, don't, you don't know these days. 
what's going to happen? <laughs> this is how I was feeling at the time when I was walking. I was looking. I was walking so slowly, and I was looking, admiring the houses. But I thought, oh gosh, they might be thinking I'm going to burgle the house. <laughs> oh, oh, not me, but you know, this information sent to somebody else because these days burglaries on on the rise. <laughs> So, but um, yeah, I, I took a lovely walk in Wally Range because the houses are so lovely and big and the gardens are nice. Yeah, just anywhere. It's walk. fascinating that sense that you have to kind of be, there's be clear purpose and it has to be visible what your purpose is. <laughs> and, and thinking that people are going to make up all these stories yes. about what we're doing and why we're doing it and about us. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to share, um, um, my daughter, she was wanted to do work experience. So one day she said to me on a Sunday morning, she said, Mom, can you drop me off at Longford Park? I've got work experience. And I looked at her and went, work experience in Longford Park? Yeah, she said, every Sunday morning, I'm going to go to Longford Park and I'm doing work experience there for two to three hours. I said, which side of Longford Park am I dropping you off? And what are you doing in Longford Park? She went, right, I'll give you the directions and you just follow my directions. Went down King's Road, right to the near end of King's Road. And I went, Holland Park Central's down there. Where are you taking me? She went, just carry on. I'll tell you, I've got the map where I need to go. I said, okay. So end of King's Road, middle near to the end, we turned left. And then we did another turn left and it was a bumpy, bumpy ride. And I said, are you taking me right into the directory? She went, yeah, keep going. Just keep going. Don't worry about it. I'm telling you where the direction is. I still remember the first day when I first took her and I went... What are you actually doing in Oldford Park work experience? My daughter wanted to be a veterinary doctor. Um, so she loved working with animals. And, you know, she went, I'm just going to go and help them. And I, when I went to the destination where she took me, and I was just amazed that I never knew Longford Park have got a beautiful place where there's animals and you know she used to go there and just clean the kennels up and you know I don't remember but there was like big animals I don't know what they were called but you know when I went to go and pick her up she was in there and went oh my god but it was beautiful so when I found out this place I used to take my small children there to go and have a look but it's 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 an amazing beautiful area and I went oh wow <laughs> and the pets, the pets corner, I think yeah, it's called, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Longford Park. Yeah. yeah, little cafe there, um, little walking space. People were walking, and that pets corner was beautiful. And that provided the work experience for her as well, and yes. the opportunities for yeah. you know her future work. Yeah. And, so go on. Then what would what would what stopped her from making her own way there, from walking there, or? getting there another way waking up late and just quickly wake mum up and say mum can you quickly drop me off I'm running late <laughs> okay. I was just going to say that I'm probably before I started working in Trafford Old Trafford was the area of Trafford that I knew the best and I still feel it's it's got such a great sense of community it feels really interesting I, I love it when I've got meetings around here I really like walking or cycling around these streets it's the the houses are lovely it feels really safe the community feels very welcoming and really diverse and in, and especially during covid we we work such a lot with people in this area you know with the mosques with christine and the st john's center with the community hub that was set up you know it's really felt like a a community that is very caring 
um, very lots of very different people, lots of very different backgrounds, but it felt like an accepting community and one that was really proud and rightly so of what of what you have here and, and how it is. And it's a place, weirdly, even though it's raining today, I always think of it as sunny here. <laughs> I think some of the diversity of, of cultures and religions make that as well because for me it's it's we build strong relationships when we meet in the park when we meet in, in centres and places where we can come together, we make relationships with one another and we take them out onto the streets and that's where that, that's why it feels safe. I mean, I've always <coughs> felt safe walking, although sometimes self-conscious, sitting in a park on my own. I don't think I've ever felt unsafe in Old Trafford. In fact, after um, a do here one night, I was walking home about one o'clock after doing all the dishes and this car pulled up and I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> and actually, it was um, somebody that I knew from church and he recognised me and he said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm walking home. He said, jump in, I'll give you a lift. So, and it's because I knew him and that those relationships were, were quite strong. And I think that's what we do. We build the relationships within the community yeah. and therefore we know each other on the street. I can see everyone's nodding. There is something magic about Old Trafford that does feel like that. those relationships, that sense of community feels very strong. It is. Yeah. I think there is an expectation that it's, it's okay to speak mm. to people and that is what they would expect to happen. I think of it as sunny as well, actually. That's, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> like, if I, if I think about... The images that I have of the bits of Old Trafford that I know well, they're always sunny, which is interesting. And it probably is to do with the, the people. And, and although I'm kind of physically limited, I will walk home, say, from here. I mean, it's, it's a familiar route, but I don't feel sort of concerned on, on the very rare occasions that I'm out after tea time, like, I, I feel very safe, like, walking up and down Henrietta Street. And it's a mixture of actually knowing who's behind some of the, the doors and also just because my experience of walking up and down that street is if I walk past someone, my expectation is that you would acknowledge each other rather than ignore each other. My uh, daughter sometimes um, she walks from she teaches um, on Stamford Street, uh, and I'm on the other uh, near Seymour Park um, Street where I live. Uh, and my daughter sometimes walks uh, from work, uh, and it's about half seven, eight o'clock, and it's quite dark at that time. And um, and I always say to her, I said, walk down Ayers Road because there there's a good community, there's shops there, there's people there, uh, and you always meet. And and, and I feel when she's walking down uh, Ayers Road, I feel she, I I know that at the back of my mind that she's safe. You know, it's, it is a lovely community uh, walking down and I, and I feel that she can just walk down. If she doesn't get a lift from a me or a dad, she would just walk down Ayers Road and straight down to home. Well, I don't feel that safe. Um, it's like 
I used to, maybe it's age, I'm not sure. When I used to work, I used to go for a walk right up to Stratford Arndale Centre. I'd come home, cook, and then take a walk to Stratford Arndale Centre and come back. And that was about uh, half six to seven, quarter past seven. That's fine. Now, I can't walk at that time. I get scared. Even going to, I wanted to go to see, I want to go to Lowry to see a, a show and my husband's not here. Um, so he would normally pick me up uh, on his bike um, at Trafford Bar and we'd walk back together. He's not here, so I can't go to the show yet, but I can't walk on my own. That's the first thing I thought, how am I going to get back? And there's no houses, actually, for quite a bit of it. I walked one time and it was late and I was thinking, this is really stupid. I was walking from Chester Road to Trafford Bar and I was just doing that walk and just thinking, really, I'm too old to be being quite so stupid. And you start (laughs) victim blaming, you start thinking about, you know, am I putting myself, you know. And you shouldn't be thinking that because we're entitled to walk. You know, you should be able to walk wherever you want, whenever you want. But you do start thinking... Oh, this doesn't feel comfortable. And I think it was too much traffic, too few houses, no other people. Mm. It is feel, very empty. You feel yeah. funny then. Yeah. And, and that's, that ties in with what Safina said about a daughter walking mm-hmm. down Ayers Road and the shops open, yeah. etc. So, yeah. What a great conversation. I could sit and listen to these women all day. A big thanks to the ladies and the St John's Centre for making us feel so welcome. Thanks for listening to this public health episode of the Right to the Streets edition of the Dear Moving podcast. As ever, I've loved hearing people's personal stories and hearing about their relationship with their streets, parks and the physical environment and the ways this relationship can change over time. We've heard the difference it makes for people's lives, their sense of control and freedom and their physical and mental well-being when they feel safe in their local area, when they feel a sense of community and when they get to enjoy local nature. A massive thanks to everyone who's contributed to this episode. As this episode is just the start of the conversation, we'd love to hear more from you. When you think about where you live, what things create that sense of community? What makes you feel welcome and that you belong? And what invites you to be active? And what takes away from that feeling? Whatever it is, let us know and we'll share your thoughts on future episodes of this podcast. We've got a few ways you can get in touch. You can tell us on social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Simply search GM Moving. Or you can leave us a voicemail. You can find the link to that in this episode, show notes and on our website, gmoving.co.uk. We'll be releasing more episodes throughout the next few months, so keep an eye on our social media pages for the next one. Or simply hit follow or subscribe on whatever podcast player you're listening to right now. This means the latest episode will go straight into your library as soon as it's released. This Right to the Streets podcast series is one element of the Right to the Streets project, led by Greater Sport, Trafford Council, Open Data Manchester and Geo Moving Partners. Thanks to Safer Streets funding from the Home Office. This series is a Mike Media production.